what I mean. It just it's it's the, the bigger the Bible, the more authoritative. So trying to, trying to start preaching from those heirloom family Bibles, you know. Oh, like the Lutherans used to like the big thick bricks that they would have. Well, I don't know how they used it, but in worship. But I mean, I even had one of those heirloom Bibles at home. Wow, you must be saved. Clearly, <laughs> clearly, clearly, by the size of that thing. And um, if if there was room in the lectern here at the church, I would use it just because of the the authority that it demands. It's like, oh, he's opening that thing. Yeah, like you hear the. Uh, I mean, if you really want to, well, you can preach with the one that's sitting right at the, at the showbread table. Man, that'd be awesome. All right. I'm going to have it waiting for you on Sunday morning. Hello and welcome to another installment of Disciple Life, the Bible, and Everyday Life. I am here. Uh, my name is Carlos Garduño, and I'm the Associate Pastor of uh, Families here at First Baptist Divine. Sitting to my right is Pastor Dan Newberg, the lead pastor. And as you can see, we're having a good conversation as we hit record. Yeah, you're talking about the relationship of the size of one's Bible and the authority that it demands. Um, or at least the fear that it demands. Yeah, the fear, I guess. And that that aside, today I'm I'm trying to operate in incognito mode because I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm grieving, you know. The way that yeah, I know. We won't talk about Bruno, but we can talk about Dak. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm grieving right now. So anyway, we'll we'll focus on the Bible. But yeah, today today's a tough day, man. Well, I, I wish I could say I, I feel for you, but. You don't. Clearly, you I don't. don't. You don't care. You don't. You don't. You like. You're not concerned with how I feel. Right I'm now. concerned for how how you feel. I'm. I'm also concerned for the discernment you have by liking the Cowboys. But that's just. It's okay. Remember, many are called, few are chosen, and that's okay. <laughs> what are you saying about my Cowboys right now? Well, apparently, they thought this this was their year. Every year's yeah, I know that's what I'm saying. Anyway, let's get to the real good things. Also, remember, I have a cup for the Kansas City Chiefs, and that's a shout out to Cindy, Sandy Lawler, who is a real Kansas City uh, Chiefs fan. Not really. I mean, she says she is. I mean, they're really a Patrick Mahomes fan, so they're, they're okay. riding that way. So let's be fair and let's call this for what this is. They're 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 fan they're fans of of a guy. They just happen to then join the team, but it's not really about the team. Okay. I mean, once Mahomes comes back to earth and plays like a normal human being, I don't think it's there, man. <laughs> okay. In well, fact, how about how I, don't, about... I don't think he's winning on Sunday. Okay, you've heard it here first, or maybe second, depending on when this uh, this actually publishes. So we'll see. Meanwhile, let's come back to Team Jesus. Okay. And we're going to come back to Team First Baptist Divine, where we are talking about um, nothing is impossible with God. And this is the sermon title that we got from yesterday, uh, yeah. both services. And so one of the things that we are talking about for your point of reference, our dear audience, is Luke chapter 1, yeah. verses 26 through 38. Um, and so... I'm going to ask the questions and, and we'll have the conversation. Uh, but here what we see in the Gospel of, of Luke, we see that Jesus's birth is foretold. And we see the engagement between Mary, who is a plain Jane teenage girl, uh, betrothed or engaged, to use a word that's more familiar to us, to a carpenter uh, in training or a carpenter that just probably finished his trade training, if you would. His name is Joseph. 
And we see the engagement between this young girl and an angel. And the Bible calls the angel Gabriel. Yep. And so this is where we we see the engagement. So, again, this is not one of those passages that goes beyond Christmas time. So what, how is God leading you, Dan, as you lead us as a congregation through this? Um, so I think it would what I wanted to or what I felt led to um, address yesterday was the miraculous nature of what this text um, brings to life for us and really wanting us to embrace the, the very fact that God deals in the impossible. So where we could have last week when we looked at the conception of John the Baptist with, uh, with Zechariah and Elizabeth, um, you know, I, I was in studying for this message. I came across uh, instances, uh, you know, like the oldest uh, recorded, the woman who is recorded to be the oldest to conceive and give birth is 59 years old. Wow. Um, and so it, 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 it can be, can, it can be uh, concluded. I was going to say conceived, but then that's, <laughs> I'm using that word in too many different ways. Anyway. Uh, it can be concluded that it's not entirely impossible for a, a woman in, in, in older years to conceive a child based upon what we have as contemporary evidence to that, right? This lady's almost 60. I think she was out of the UK, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> um, so, so you can dismiss that part. Um, and where I where I see um, those things that we might be quick to dismiss because our minds try to rationalize the unexplainable, um, not not that I doubt what's told there, but I think it's helpful for us uh, if we are on the fence with some of those things that can be explained away um, to to accept them because of what we see as the even greater and more impossible uh, events occurring that we see in scripture. So this idea of, of God's conceiving a child with a virgin, um, this, this entire thing is absolutely miraculous, right? Um, to, to think that a, a woman without any interaction with a human man um, would would become pregnant? Right. That is miraculous. And so, if we're if we're at the point where um, we understand that this has occurred because God is the God of all possible things uh, and and the impossible things, then you can back right into an elderly woman giving birth and, and the, the numerous instances of that throughout Scripture. Right. Um, and Jonah being in the belly of a way or fish or, and, and all those things. So, um, so what I wanted to do is, is not, not make this a Christmas story. Um, but to, to have us focus on the miraculous nature of it. Um, and to just to be in awe of who God is and what he is capable of doing. Okay. So, you're leading us to see how God is working miraculously, uh, breaking what we would call the conventional laws of our world, yeah. like the, yeah. the norm. Yeah, the natural order. Right. Things. And so as he does that, I, 
how can we then, or, got, or let me rephrase this, how should we then, as Bible-believing Christians, should approach the instances in the text where we see things that are just beyond the 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 the, the everyday normal for us? So, for example, we're doing the Book of Acts on Wednesdays, and we're seeing where people speak in languages that they have no knowledge, early knowledge of, and God empowers them to do that. We also see the apostles who are uh, manifesting uh, God's presence with them as God enables them and leads them to heal people and to even uh, at some points make people well, almost from the brink of certain death. Uh, in Paul's case, we see that he was such a laborious preacher that someone falls asleep and falls from the second story window and dies. And he just says, get up. Nothing's wrong with you. And he keeps going. To us, that those things don't make sense. So how do we as Bible-believing Christians then engage with those things as a source of encouragement for us and as a source of growth, spiritually speaking? I don't know. Uh, the only thing that comes to mind right now is we accept them because we're Bible-believing Christians, right? right? Um, we accept them in faith, saying God can and did and will and do these things. It's within his, within his sovereignty to exercise his power, even in, um, even in overcoming the natural order of things to earn himself glory. Right. Um, and so we, we should trust in what scripture tells us because it's God who has authored this and has purposed his word, um, for us to have come to faith in his son and to, to grow more in his likeness in and through it. Um, so I guess I would start my answer in that way. When we encounter these impossible things, we know that we can't perform them. Um, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a, an act of, you know, learning a magic trick. Right. Um, but it is the, the supernatural, uh, occurring, taking place that is overriding the natural order. Right. Um, because God has a purpose and an intention with that, which will ultimately earn him glory. Right. So you take it for what it is and say, praise God. Um, and, and, and I agree. I, I wonder if people sometimes don't adopt one of two particular um, positions on it. One, to be in complete disbelief, um, almost denying that God can still perform those things. Almost like a, Gnost, uh, uh, not Gnostic, but agnostic way of doing things. Unless you have some special signs and wonders, you don't believe. Uh, and the opposite, where you almost... Um, Put God to the test, saying, "Do a sign, do a sign." Um, and so, I wonder if that's not something that that happens. Just, I'm, I'm sure, that. I'm sure it does. Um, but if we if we're dismissing the supernatural, or we're paralyzed, um, waiting on the supernatural, we're missing God in, in all of it. Um, in other words. It would be more prudent for us to do what the Lord is telling us to do without any, um, without any observance of a, of a miracle ourselves. Um, and if God in his grace permits us audience to observe or witness to something of that order, praise him. 
Right. Otherwise, praise him. Right. Um, we don't we don't need to observe the miraculous to know that he is capable. He's told us that he has. And if we want to be really forthright in this, we should also observe the fact that any of us, that anyone has been saved from his wrath is a miracle in right. and of itself. Right. So um, we may not observe the, the sight being restored to a blind man. We may not observe a, a lame person being made to walk in the, in the ways that we see uh, occurring 2,000 years ago. Um, but we each, if we're in Christ, have observed and had a personal experience with the miraculous. And that's the fact that Christ has saved us. Right. Um, and so that ought, if we're, if we, if we're dismissing the miraculous on one side or in a holding pattern, waiting on it on the other side, it would serve us both, both those sides well to remember if we're in Christ, you've already, you can't dismiss it because you've received it and you can't be waiting for it because you've already encountered it. So get past it. Right. Yesterday, you, you, met, you raised a question to the congregation to consider this, and it's simply this. Um, what do we believe to be impossible? And so if we are looking at this from a discipleship perspective, how, what should be our ongoing daily life attitude to where God is calling us uh, to go? Say, for example, an example in church life would be, how do, how do we, as we encounter the Almighty God, conceive, uh, causing Mary to conceive Christ without having carnal knowledge, without knowing, having any sexual contact with a young man, um, how do we take that as a stepping stone to grow in the likeness of, the, of our Lord Jesus? I don't know. Um, how, do we, how does that serve to encourage us? And to build us up. Um, I, I think I still come back to this sense that... Um, that he's committed himself to us. And so he's going to continue to, to be faithful to the work that he has started. So just like we see his commitment to, to his plan of salvation in Christ, we also see an, a, an expression of commitment to Mary. Right. Um, we see an expression of commitment to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, and we know that when God is calling us to do something, he's going to to see us through that. Um, that doesn't mean it's not going to be without challenge. That doesn't mean it's not going to be without conflict necessarily. Um, but that God will give us the power and he will give us the direction to move forward in that growth and to go through that season of um, of whatever it is he's inviting us to do. So he doesn't just say, here's an order. I'll see you in a few months. Right. Um, he's saying, he will say, this is what's happening. This is what I'm about to do. And I am, I am intending to do it with you, in you, through you. Um, and so come along. Uh, so it's, it's, it's the perpetual invitation to come and follow. And so we're not alone in any of this either. So he's, he's, 
he he is fully committed, if you will, and invested to those in those whom he has redeemed and who he is calling for special purposes. Right. Um, again, the way my my brain works. Um, a quote by Alistair Begg. He says, "There's no one insignificant in the purposes of God," and it's almost a perfect match to exactly this understanding you know, that it's thinking about that quote. Um, I think about how some may um, may believe that they are insignificant in comparison to others. Um, so you think about even the life of this church, some in, in the course of doing their or fulfilling their Christian obligations um, may view themselves as insignificant in comparison to you or I. Which nothing could be further from the truth. Right. And so it, if, you know, if God calls you to preach, you do so to the glory of God. If God calls you to make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, you do so to the glory of God. Right. Um, God will issue reward based off of that. But neither is more significant than the other in the economy of kingdom things. Right. Um, I mean, for all we know. Um, God may, may choose to lead countless many to come to know Christ, um, through the, the ministry of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, um, which we can attest to because of the engagement of the meal that we offer before Wednesday night Bible studies, right? Uh, it's it's they, they may they may stay for Bible study, but what really draws people in is knowing that they have a place where they can fellowship with other believers, and there's a nice home cooked meal uh, available for those who come, and it, it's pennies on the dollar, just a donation. So yeah, I can affirm that, yeah. and I can see that. Um, so so there, we what you should be hearing right now for those who are listening is. Um, you are not insignificant to God. Neither is the work that he has laid before you. You may consider it as such, but in God's eyes, it is not. And I would invite you to stop looking through or hearing through, looking through your eyes, hearing through your ears, and trust what God is saying about you. And that is, you are not insignificant. Which also serves as a wonderful segue to exactly the text because we see here um, in verse 27, if I'm not mistaken, or 29, uh, 28. And he came and he said, this is Gabriel coming to now Mary saying, greetings, favored one. Uh, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at, at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. It seems like Mary thought she was insignificant. I mean, not trying to read much into it, just looking at the reaction recorded by Luke, by Luke, I should say, um, that God extends to her grace and extends favor, as we see in Scripture. And she doesn't know what to do with that. Um, I wonder, as, as you led us to understand that the, the differences between how we as um, people who are Bible only people, Look at Mary and how we've mis misunderstood Mary versus, and I'll pick on, on me, coming from a Bible plus element of the wider umbrella of Christianity called Catholicism. And so with that being said, um, 
how do we go from a place of feeling insignificant to understanding how grace changes us, much like Mary did? Well, we should not assume grace. Um, what I mean by that is we have to be careful that the the Bible's word for this, I, and I always, it's a tongue twister for me, is licentiousness. Uh, the, just the, the permissive nature of, of sin, you know, just, just licentiousness, licentiousness. Thank yeah. you. Um, we, we have to, we can't presume grace while we're just being these awfully sinful people uh, right. in that permissive way. Um, but the, on the same respect, and this is, this is why you might, you might hear people say that they have life verses or favorite verses. Um, I think about, what comes uh, from Isaiah, um, who, as an oracle from the Lord, speaking to the, the, the people of God, he says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And I wonder how often, and I'm saying this about myself, sure. how often, I shouldn't say I wonder, I, I often... In reading God's word, find myself flipping to the page in which that verse is found, um, and imagine Jesus speaking those words over me. Um, in other words, the 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 image of of the Lord who has saved me, the Lord who has redeemed me, um, reminding me that in the midst of my fears, they're not justified. Because he has done a final and lasting work, not because I earned it, but because he loves me and because he desired to make me his. Um, that, as a recipient of grace, I need to remind myself um, from what God says about me. Right. Fear not. He's called me by name. At some point in in times past, he called Dan Newberg, and he redeemed me. Um, that is liberating. Um, that's liberating for me when, in my mind, I I, I I'm unredeemable. Um, I made a comment to to someone yesterday um, who, and I said something to the effect, and it's it's not novel in any way. I said, if, if if folks knew the list of things against me, there'd be no way that they'd let me in the pulpit. Um, Same. <laughs> yeah. So the the point the point in saying that is, um, I don't need to fear that because the atonement or the the, the payment for my sin is completely paid in full. My debt is paid in full um, because of what. Christ has done for me, um, and He's not He's not leaving me alone. He's 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 right with me through it all. He's leading me every step. So, as far as this element of grace, it's reminding yourself that you are a recipient of that grace. Um, you did nothing to earn it, but it's. Embracing it, the the liberation from your former ways, your liberation from um, what your mind would say that, um, or 
maybe what the evil one would would have you believe and that you're not redeemable and that there isn't a God who could actually love you. Um, those are lies from the pit of hell. Right. And um, there, there is just that imagining Jesus speaking those words over me or Jesus speaking those words over who's listening right now. Right. Um, fear not. I have called you my name. You are mine. How often would we benefit from hearing that? True. Very true. Which I also would then say leads us to perhaps one of the best pictures of what understanding God as being the God of making all things possible. Not just the God of the impossible, because that, to me that sounds weird. My, my brain works in Spanish and English, and so I'm like, Dios no es el Dios de lo imposible. Uh, to, to, the, to the quite the contrary, God, is, God makes all things possible, and therefore he's just that, because he's God. That point being made, uh, the response that Mary brings out, which, uh, which was, I think, one of the strongest points from yesterday's message, is oftentimes we get caught today in the how uh, or, or the why, and you're challenging us to actually respond as Mary did. How is it that the Lord will accomplish this? Now, for her, it was, how am I going to give birth to a boy when I have not been known by a man because I'm a virgin and I'm betrothed or engaged to a man, and we haven't been given that blessing yet to come together as one. How... How impacting is that for us? Learning how to trust God enough to say, how is it that you're going to accomplish this versus why me? What are some of those benefits? Because you listed some yesterday, but I think we could stand for everyone to hear more on that. Um, why? When we're focused on why, I don't know if we even understand the danger that um, the, the dangerous realm we enter into. Um, the dangers. Tell us about those dangers then. Those dangers. Who do we think we are to question God? Okay. Um, who do we think we are to question God in his purposes? Um, we understand that God uh, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We understand that God exists outside of time, seeing eternity past and eternity future. Right. Um, all the same time. Right. Time, 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 he contains time. Time, time yeah. does not contain him. Right. So what makes us think? I mean, the, 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 the follow-on thought is in our asking God why, we first of all think that we're owed an explanation, a justification from God. Mm. Um, and we, we are also implying that this had to be approved by us in whatever he's intending to accomplish. Um, and what may be beyond us and even in the reach of our lifetime is that, you know, our pushing over a, a flower, if God wanted us to do that, may have something that has impact in the economy of God two centuries later, well beyond our, our life's existence. And our, we can't comprehend those things. Right. Um, we simply can't. And so the, the, the whole thing of why brings us into a dangerous territory where we are, are making, in some sense, God do our bidding. 
um, and that, that God needs to offer justification to us. I'm sure I'm glad that I didn't have to get God's justification to save me. You know, um, I, I sure am glad that I didn't have to get God's justification to go through a cross. I mean, but that's what the disciples did, too, in some way. Like, what do you mean you're going to die? Um, they, they struggled with this. I'm not saying it's, it's not something that we, that we don't. I mean, we, we do it all the time. I'm just saying it's unhelpful. And I'm, I'm also offering right now that it's dangerous to do it. Um, the better question is how. I think that that is that is taking a more humble position before the Lord. Um, it's it's saying it's it's it is an expression of uh, acceptance, right? Okay, I don't know what you're going to do with this. I don't understand all things. I don't have to understand it. And that could actually be something that is both individual, like say, for example, we both surrendered our lives to the preaching of God's word. To the, service, to the service of his church. And so for us, at, the, at that point, I know for me, speaking just from my experience, at one point I didn't know I, I didn't know why he would do that, but the question was, because of the tribe in which we serve, how, how are you going to make this a possibility? Because in our, I mean, at least in Southern Baptist contexts, and, and definitely in the one where I was raised and in the ones that we serve, they like their pastors to be trained. There was a time where that was out of the cards for me. Um, God made a way. Um, they, 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 they don't usually like single pastors. They like pastors who are married with kids. And that was a, also a big hurdle. And God made a way with Catherine. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where learning that the how is a good question also comes with a sense of the surrender, much to your point. But that doesn't exempt us from, like you said, even even to ask the why quite often. So it that, doesn't eliminate our desire for the why, right? Yeah. Especially when we face we face difficult circumstances or even we'll painful get, stuff. We, we we will never get to the, the answer to the question why, right? And I think it's an unhelpful question to ask. Correct. Just how? Tell me how. Tell me how. How to do this so that you get the greatest glory, God? Right. How are you going to do this? Which then leads me to the second point. It's a very much an individual thing, but it could also be like churches coming together as as groups of people. That's a church. Um, so, for example, when a church feels led to go on mission, to send missionaries, to commission new pastor, uh, planter, plant, church planters, or even anything that has to do with how do we best uh, make use of our hospitality for space management, anything that has to do with, um, okay, we, we believe God, say, for example, is leading us to build a new building, or we believe God is calling us to raise this, this amount of money to support local and international missions. Um, and oftentimes people say why, usually out of fear. That's been my experience. But there's something about the people who ask how, and that's usually when we begin to see the, if you will, the the movement of the Spirit of God to bring His people to do some amazing things that seem impossible. Um, I'm still I'm still reminded of the the quote by Hudson Taylor. Uh, there are three stages uh, for God's work: impossible, difficult, and done. Mm-hmm. And if he, being a missionary to China, uh, I believe in the 1800s, then could say that with bold and bold confidence. 
what what stops us from being as bold and confident today? Our desire to stay in control. Our, st- our desire for a sense of control. Hmm. Wow. It's the, the thing, um, I don't know what decade it was. Was it the 80s? Jesus is my co-pilot. That sounds like an 80s tagline, um, <laughs> or maybe late 70s. But the the idea that I'm I'm the one who's in the driver's seat. I'm just dragging Jesus along as my my lucky rabbit's foot. You're right. Um, I think that that's still a prevalent thought, even though we may not frame it that way. It's so prevalent that I believe what's the name of the country star? She was part of American Idol. Um, Carrie Underwood. Jesus take Jesus, the wheel. Jesus take the wheel. The, the girl gets into an accident and she's spinning out of control and that's when she asks Jesus to take the wheel. So yeah, it's very prevalent. Yeah, so I think it's that. Okay. Um, you got one more question. Uh, well, I actually um, I have notes and I think we've covered everything. How can we as Protestant Christians um, or to reframe it in this way, how can we as people who have Bible only uh, tribe appreciate the the place of Mary in the narrative of Scripture? I think when, we can we can look to her as um, a type, if you will, uh, of you and me. Um, you find someone like Elizabeth and Zechariah who are faithful servants of God who are not seeking um, someplace of prominence. They are just living their lives out where God has placed them. Mm. Um, They're, they're, they're not famous in any way. Um, They're obscure actually in the scheme of things. Right. I mean, Zechariah is one of countless many within his, um, within his group uh, of priests that are going to serve two, two weeks a year. Um, Elizabeth's back home. Uh, Mary's in her small room doing her thing. Uh, we can look to them as a type of who we ought to be, just faithfully serving God, not not necessarily seeking out attention for ourselves, um, but being ready and able and willing. He calls, much like when when you know, Mary may ask the question, "How?" But ultimately, she she ends that interaction with, let it be. What greater way to say, I, I surrender I, and I am ready to serve. Let it be, Lord. Amen. Let it be. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I think yesterday's sermon was quite edifying in the sense that it reminds us that God is not far off. He is not um, as the deist, which is from two weeks now, two Sundays ago, where you said God is not like the deists. God, if you would, who sets everything in motion and steps away from it, but rather how personal he is with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, even even now, after we have been given the great privilege of uh, being called by name mm-hmm. and to be declared his yeah. to quote Isaiah 43, as you quoted it earlier today in this recording and also yesterday during the sermon. So we know that we don't have to be afraid much like Gabriel compelled Mary to not be afraid, but we also know that we can take away that nothing is impossible with God. 
up to and including saving people out of this dark age. Yeah. And why? Because he brought a dead God back to life. And you have to contend with that if you want to take Christianity down. You have to, that's the the ultimate hurdle. Muhammad, we know where he is. Buddha, we know where he is. We know where Nietzsche and every other philosopher that came before, we know where they are. But there's no grave for Christ. Right. So, any closing thoughts? No Uh, cowboys. Oh, no. I was about to rattle off some cowboys things. Do they still have a kicker? Oh yeah, he did fine yesterday. Uh, okay, so nothing was rattling between the between the two sides of his helmet. No, uh, no. I mean the the kick that got blocked, and the first extra point or the only extra point that he kicked that got blocked, it, it was going to go bad anyway. <laughs> but he kicked two field goals, and he looked solid on that. So maybe he shook free from it. That loss was not on him. So we will close this by simply saying also that well we have. Very uh, playful banter about sports and other things. We are committed to being here for you. So uh, on the link below, you will find a way where you can ask the pastors, Pastor Dan, myself, Pastor Johnny, and we can be here to answer those things for you regarding the latest sermon. So not not for this past uh, Sunday, but as you come and join us this following Sunday on our social uh, 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 social platform uh, platforms, I should say, or in person. You can then let us know what questions you have about the text, what questions you may have about anything else, and we'll answer them for you. Until next time, this is Pastor Dan Newberg, and I am your host, Carlos Garduño, and this is Disciple Life.